I'm going to ask Heidi to come and read for us. If you have your Bibles, could you open them to John chapter 1, and she will begin reading in verse 35, John 1, 35. Today's scripture reading is from John 35, chapter 1, 35 through 51. And if you have a Bible on the back, page 982. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was standing, and they stayed with him that day. For it is about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I couldn't have been more than 10 years old. That's the line I was looking for. There we go. So at 10, at that age, I am positive that there are not many things that you count on like, I I have this, this is mine, this is my possession. So one of those things for me at that age was I had a watch, and I can't remember whether I used my own money to buy that watch or whether it was something, some gift that I had gotten, but I do know, like, I, I really, really liked my watch. I was really, really proud of my watch, and I remember, it's funny the things that you call, call to mind even decades later, so I remember one day I was coming home from, and I lived on a military installation most of my life uh, growing up. So I remember coming home one day from the PX, and I went to look at my watch, and my watch was gone. And I remember in that moment, you, can, you know, 10 years old, it's just like a flood of emotions, none of which are good. So, you know, you tell your parents, I think I, I, I've lost my watch, you know, what, what, where, where's my watch? Well, did you wear it? Well, I think I had it on. I, I would have worn it, you know, and you go... You kind of have this range of emotions from, like, I'm devastated, life may not be worth living if I don't have my watch, to also, how stupid I am, how could I lose this thing I really, really valued, how could I not treasure this enough to make sure I knew exactly where it was, and so I have this flood of emotions, and I remember my parents took me back to 
the PX is uh, similar to, like the post exchange, similar to uh, a convenience store, a drugstore, or like a Walmart Target, something like that. And I remember retracing my steps, like where all did I go? And maybe for some dumb reason, I took it off. And I still remember, like, I found it. Like, it was sitting on a shelf, and I have no idea how it got there. I didn't remember taking it off. I don't know how this thing was lost. I was so glad someone didn't take it. And I remember the sense of relief at finding what I was looking for. And I mentioned that a simple, silly story of finding something, because in this passage, as I was reading and rereading and reading and rereading this passage, again and again, the word finding or found comes up. Only it's not like personal possessions. It's people that are being found. It's people finding Jesus and Jesus finding people. And I, I want us to, to dive right into some of the verses in, that really set the stage. So Heidi read in verse 35 that the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So John the Baptist is at the river baptizing again, we suppose. We have two disciples. One will be named later. One is Andrew. The other will not be named, although a lot of people speculate it's the writer of this book, John the Evangelist, who is just finding a way not to name himself. But uh, regardless of that, we have two disciples who have followed John the Baptist, and he looks at Jesus coming, and he says, as Jesus walks by, behold the Lamb of God. And verse 37, the two disciples hear John say this, and they follow Jesus. So John the Baptist has a ton of credibility in that area with a, a few of his followers, and he points them to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and he says, that's the Lamb. Look to him. And two of the disciples in particular, Andrew and this unnamed disciple, begin to follow. It's interesting. That's the word that's used. They follow Jesus. And I think often in Scripture there is a double meaning with words. I think this is no exception. So I think they literally started following Jesus with their feet. They started walking where he was walking, going where he was going. But surely we can see in there, there's more than just following with your feet here. There's following with your heart as well and following with your mind. You, you are buying into who Jesus is or at least what he's saying and, and you're willing to walk and follow. And it says in verse 38, and, and as we read through some of these verses, we're going to highlight a couple questions. It says in verse 38, Jesus turned and he saw them following, and he said to them, what are you seeking? That's the first of two really important questions that I just want to take right from the text of Scripture here, and that is, what are you seeking? That's the question that Jesus asks. In some ways, it's a simple question, and in a lot of ways, it's a very loaded question. It's much like when God speaks to Adam in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, and he asks him a question, where are you? Where are you? So here, Jesus turns to Andrew and this other disciple, and he says, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? He confronted them with a very fair question. I think it's a question worth asking ourselves. Why would you pay attention to a Jewish rabbi? Why then? Why now? Why? What are you looking for him to do in your life? I think we're meant to ask and answer that question today, especially the way it's framed. What are you looking for? What are you looking for 
we were to just, on a personal level, are you looking for Jesus to be some sort of healer of some scars that have really been dealt to you over life? What, what has you interested, maybe even in being here, maybe even in pursuing Christianity or pursuing Jesus or coming back to him or coming to him? What has you interested? What are you looking for? What would your answer to his question be? Are you seeking, are you seeking purpose behind, kind of beyond the, the rat race of just going through the to-do list and getting your calendar and, and, and everything checked off? What are you looking for? I think everybody's going to have maybe a little bit different answer to that question. What are you looking for? Are you looking for some relief? So inevitably, because we are sinners, we're human, we, we have guilt and shame that we have to deal with. And maybe you're looking to Jesus to help in some way with the guilt and the shame that you know you have. Maybe you're looking to him to help you get a little bit further ahead in your life. You realize you can't do it on your own, so you're, you're looking for him. You're seeking him. Maybe you're looking for him to be someone who could secure some future and, and hope for you. Someone that can press beyond the inevitable disappointments of today and yesterday and can actually guarantee something in the future that's better. Maybe that's why you're looking to him. Maybe that's what you're seeking. What are you seeking? Maybe it's help in dealing with the inner you. Trying to make the changes that you know you need to make and you want to make and you're looking for him to help you. And, and so there's all these different reasons why we might be seeking Jesus when he asks that question. And it may be, it's not even so much personally, but, but you actually see things in a bigger way, not just personally, but you look at the world and you say, Jesus, I'll tell you what I am seeking. I am seeking a world where people are truly cared for, where they aren't neglected, where, where the most vulnerable are looked after and not taken advantage of. That's what I'm seeking. That's what I want. Or maybe you would say, I am looking for a world where there is justice and it's given consistently and there's no need for criminal justice reform because everything is done justly every single time. I'm looking for that world. Or maybe you say, I'm looking for a world where, where things are better and people are, are purer in thought and action. You look at the mess of Hollywood and the mess of politics and you look at even the mess of religion and you look at your own life or your own family and you say, I'm looking for something better where people just do the right thing. I'm looking for that. I'm seeking a place where there's freedom and liberty, not just for a country or not just for a particular segment or a group of people, but I, I want there to be a better world. And here we are listening to and paying attention to the words and actions of a Jewish man who turns around and maybe turns around and asks all of us here, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? As we walk through we actually get to hear what individuals were seeking. So when Andrew hears John the Baptist, who has been his teacher, say, there's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. In some ways, we, we, we know by Andrew's actions, he goes, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. I can't do that on my own. 
That's what I'm looking for. But, but it doesn't stop there because Andrew, Andrew finds his brother Peter. That's what it says. And, and, and he, he goes and gets his brother and says in verse 41, he says to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. And now we see not only is Andrew looking for the one who could be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, but he's also looking for the Messiah. And he says when, when he sees him, he, he gets his brother and he says, let's, let's look at Jesus because he, I believe he's the Messiah. I believe he's the Christ. And Messiah or Christ just means the one who's been anointed. And in the Old Testament, there were certain people that got anointed. So like King David, he was anointed as king. And if you read the Old Testament scriptures, the priests would be anointed to fulfill their role of priest. But there was this expectation that another would come that would be anointed. Not just any king, not just any priest, but the one that would change the world. And Andrew says, we found him. We found what we're looking for. Peter, we found him. We don't have to look any further. Andrew and Peter find the Messiah. But then further along in the chapter, we overhear the conversation of two other people who are looking for something as well. It says in verse 43 that the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, so we imagine there's some sort of connection with the city of Andrew and Peter. Maybe they all knew each other. Maybe they all grew up together. Maybe they had relationship or friendship. But Philip goes and, and he finds Nathaniel and says to him, we found him. Who have you found, Philip? We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. We have found Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found him that all of the law, all everything Moses wrote in Genesis through Deuteronomy, we found who all that was pointing to. We found who the prophets like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah, all those that were preparing us, we found him. We found him. And what is stunning is, not only is he the Messiah, but he's also this one who, from the village of Nazareth, and his stepdad is Joseph. As we take inventory, I wonder, I wonder, what are you seeking? Jesus asked that question. It's always right to give an honest answer to Jesus, right? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? If you could just get whatever, life gets significantly better. Is it, is it, if you could just have some control over situations that are right now outside of your control, you'd say, that's what I'm looking for. Someone could just give that to me. If someone could just give me the approval of people, if people could just recognize that I'm a decent person, a decent human being, and would just, you know, like me for who I am, if I could just have that approval, that's, that's all I need. That's all I'm looking for. That's all I want. If I could just have power over some, some specific situations, if I could just get this position, that's really all I'm looking for. What are you seeking if I could just get a measure of comfort and pleasure so that I could, you know, re retirement's going to be a little bit easier, a little bit more breathing room financially. If I could just get that, if I could get that. See, see, it's a question that we have to take seriously. Is 
Jesus going to be enough if we're saying this is what I'm seeking and if it's any answer other than Jesus, you are what I'm seeking. And even if Jesus becomes the means to the real end of like, Jesus, I think you can help me get what I really want. I think we've got to do some deep soul searching. We've got to go deep in our heart. We have people looking for something. And Jesus says, why don't you come and remain with me? Why don't you come and stay with me? In some ways, Andrew here is like, why don't we just have an undistracted, unhurried time to talk about all this? What are you looking for? What are you seeking? Jesus says to people who are looking for something, come and see, and those who do are never the same. They're never the same. I mentioned earlier that I think there are two really important questions that I feel come out of this, this passage. So the first really is that question, like what, what are... What are we seeking? What are you seeking? But, but let's read. Look, look at verse 45. Let's go back to that verse. It says in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael's skeptical. He says to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Nazareth, just equate that with any of the backwater, kind of backward people. There's always that kind of county or state or city that you go, oh yeah, can anything good come out of there? I'm not going to name any names of counties or states because that would only get me in trouble. But we all have those things where we go, and nothing good comes from there. And Nathaniel actually has theological reasons. Like, so we're not talking about Bethlehem here? Not talking about Jerusalem here? Really? Nazareth, can anything good come out of that? Philip said to him, it's interesting the word on Philip's lips, because this was on the lips of Jesus earlier in this chapter. Come and see. You want to find out for yourself, Nathaniel? Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So that's, that's the next question. How do you know me? How do you know me? So here, here's the setting. Nathaniel is absolutely stunned by what is the supernatural knowledge of Jesus. It's not hard to imagine the questions that are in Nathaniel's head. Jesus, how do you know that I am trying to be a moral Israelite? I'm trying to do things the right way. I'm trying to do things that are right. I'm trying to live with a clear conscience. How do you know that about me? You've never met. We've never met. How do you know that? How do you know me? How do you know that I have theological questions that I'm trying to answer when I hear you're from Nazareth? And I'm asking, can anything good come out of that? How, do you, how can you read me like that? We've never met. Jesus knows that Nathaniel is skeptical about him. And you can imagine when Nathaniel realizes that Jesus can read his heart and read his emotions and read his mind. I wonder if Nathaniel's replaying the conversation he had had earlier with Philip where he'd had questions about Jesus now thinking, 
Did he overhear this in some way, some miraculous way? Did he hear my skepticism about him? It's never comfortable when someone walks up and you're talking about them and they, you're not sure exactly what they overheard or what they knew you said about them. Never, never a fun situation. Could, could these things be going through Nathaniel's mind? Does Jesus really know the questions and obstacles I've had before we could ever follow? How do you know me? How do you know me? Before we dig a little bit deeper into that question, I, I, I find this interesting insight into what's going on here. And, and, and bear with me, because what, what I notice in this passage is that people are bringing people to Jesus. So, so did, you, did you notice that? So first of all, John the Baptist is a preacher and uh, just someone that's kind of heralding good news that there is a Lamb of God and he's come. He takes away the sin of the world. And he does so, and Andrew follows, transfers allegiance, and follows Jesus. And then Andrew goes to his family member, Peter, and he says, we found the Messiah. Let's go. Let's follow him. And then Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel and says, we found the one that Moses and the law and the prophets. Do you see that? Do you see how someone teaching uh, and, and someone working for the Lord, do you see how someone who's a relative, do you see how someone is a friend, is instrumental in bringing others to Jesus? I think that's important for us to realize. It's, it was interesting this week. I did a did just a, a little poll of about a dozen people in our church family. And I asked them, I said, who are some of the primary influencers, humanly speaking, so not the Holy Spirit, but humanly speaking, who are some of the primary influencers that led you to Christ? And as I read the replies, I would read things like, it was, it was a pastor, or it was a VBS worker at another church, or probably five or six of the people said it was Sunday school teachers who were teaching me. And my guess is, my guess is those Sunday school teachers never even knew that they were forming someone's faith. Maybe they hoped and prayed, but I wonder if 20, 20, 30, 40 years later, would they realize I had a role in introducing this person to Jesus, much like John the Baptist had a role in introducing Andrew to Christ. I read of someone that said it, it was a youth worker, do, do we have any idea? I mean, we, we try to do volunteer pushes and say, like, let's work in preschool and let's work in children's ministry. And, and we're grateful for those that work in student ministry. But do you have any idea that you might be the one that 20 years later, someone says, that person is the person that led me to Christ. Do you realize the role you're playing in shaping faith? It's, a, it's a, an amazing role. But then also, as I was reading, I read again and again of well, it was my parents that led me to faith in Jesus Christ. It was my grandparents that led me to faith in Christ. One person said it was my foster brother that led me to faith in Jesus. And I thought, as hard as it is to bring family to Jesus, that's the way it often happens. Parents bring their kids to faith in Christ. Kids bring their parents to faith in Christ. Siblings bring each other to Christ. Just like Andrew brought Peter but then others, as, as I did, again, this informal poll, some said it was roommates in college. It was a best friend in high school. 
that I saw their walk with Christ. And it wasn't like this amazing gospel presentation. It wasn't because they had every answer to every question. It was just that they walked with the Lord. And that led me to Christ. Just like Philip led Nathaniel to Jesus. What struck me as I thought about that is while people bring other people to Jesus so often, for Andrew and for Peter and for Nathaniel, they still had to have their own encounter with Jesus, didn't they? No one could mediate it. They couldn't ride the coattails of parents or brothers or friends or John the Baptist. They had to have their own encounter. Andrew had to decide, do I believe he's the Lamb of God or do I not? Peter had to believe, do, do I really believe this prophecy? I mean, Jesus is renaming Peter, changing his name, changing his identity. Do I really believe he is the Christ? Nathaniel had to come to the point, and you have to come to the point. Where do I really believe this? For Nathaniel, what, what changed him was the fact that he recognized that Jesus knew him. And in that moment, I would imagine there is a, a little bit of fear. But I would have to know also there is an amount of great relief. No pretense before Jesus. you're not going to be able to do Christianity from a distance. You're not going to be able to walk with the Lord and kind of keep a distance and, and pretend like he doesn't really have to know about this, that, and the other. It all is in front of the Lord. He knows. He knows. He knows that thing you've done, an entire direction you've chosen that you think would be such an obstacle to following him. He knows that already. He knows you. Or you feel isolated and you feel like, I'm alone in this world. He knows. He knows where you are. He knows your biggest hang-up. He knows the doubts, the fears. He knows the thing that this morning you would have to give up to follow him. He knows that. He knows that already. He knows you. And Nathaniel came to that conclusion. How do you know me? How can you look inside into my heart and see me? It pushes a confrontation, doesn't it? And I understand the fear of someone that could know you inside and out, know every motive, every hidden motive, every secret intention. But I have to tell you, when you get to the reality that he knows you anyway, what will that do for you confessing your sins when he already knows anyway and he still is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? What does it do for you to confess and forsake and repent and turn When you know he knew you before that sin, he knew what was going on in your mind and in your heart during that sin, and he offers you forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness, he knows you. What does it do for your prayers when you realize he knows me? There's no games that have to be played. He knows me. He knows where I have questions. He knows where I want this and I'm not seeing it materialize. He knows me. And and I'm not going to use Jesus' name as some self-serving name dropper. He's actually told me to pray in his name. Ask in my name. Because he knows me. Made all the difference for Nathaniel. The fact is when you come to an encounter, when you realize, and maybe maybe that's dawning on you today, when you realize Jesus knows you, means the car has to come out in neutral. 
you either acknowledge and turn to him or you walk away. You either say something like Nathaniel says, you're the son of God and the king of Israel. Jesus answered Nathaniel in verse 50 of chapter 1. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Is that why you're believing? Oh, you'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. If Nathaniel knew anything about the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that immediately would trigger a picture of Jacob's ladder from Genesis 28. Angels ascending and descending. But I think what would stand out of Jesus' words is Jesus doesn't say, you're going to see a ladder with angels going up and down, touching earth and touching heaven. What he says is, the Son of Man replaces the image of the ladder. He is going to be the unique contact point between heaven and earth. He is going to be the one that takes men to, and women to the Father and the Father to men and women. That's why in John 14, Jesus could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except by me, except through me. No one's getting there. What an amazing thing. So how, how do you know me? What are you looking for? These are the questions we're asking. And Jesus is connecting dots for us here. And he's, he's giving us more than just an inspirational image. It's meant to be a reality. And we're left with some critical, critical questions. And, and I want you to know, I believe that Jesus is just as present here, although we cannot see him in a, in a physical body. I believe he's present. And I believe he's still asking that question of us today. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? What are you trying to find? And if my answer comes out to be anything that, yeah, Jesus, I'm not sure you can help with this. Then there's hard work to be done. And maybe we find ourselves coming to the place where we go, how can you know me? How can you know me? I'd say, let's follow Nathaniel's lead. Don't let that create distance. But actually find yourself, how do you know me? I'm going to move toward you because you know me anyway. I'm going to move toward you. So what would be your next step toward the Lord today? Maybe it'll be in just a few moments calling out to him, praying to him, maybe first time in a long time. Or maybe your first step toward him will be talking with a friend or someone up front afterwards that could pray with you. And but for this moment, can we bow our head, close our eyes, and just consider like, what are our answers to these questions? What are we looking for? How can he know us? Father, help us answer these questions. Honestly, we need not pretend you know us anyway. So I pray that you would help us uh, deal with the things that we're seeking that are not you. And we're seeking things for ultimate fulfillment. As you tear those things down, I pray that we would find our trust again in the person of Christ. I pray for the person that feels very very much like Nathaniel, how do you know me? I pray in, 
in that feeling they will also feel very loved, loved by you, loved by your followers here. Pray that this would be a place to ask the questions that need to be asked and to pursue you in an honest, open way. Lord, we ask this for your glory. We ask this for your name to be hallowed. We ask this for your will to be done. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.